Hello and welcome to episode 7 of our Digital Guardian podcast. I'm your host and Digital Guardian Global Security Advocate, Thomas Fisher. Joining me today are my co-host and Deja Director of Cybersecurity, Tim Vanders, who's coming from the US and then right now in London. And we also have a special guest, Wendy Nafer, who also came to London. And we are both, well, all three of us actually, live from InfoSec Europe. Wendy, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Wendy Nather. I'm the Principal Security Strategist at Duo Security. I was previously an analyst for five years and also a CISO before that. What's your specialization right now, Wendy? I give up. What is my specialization? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. But, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm focusing on the, the strategic direction of what Duo is, but thinking about the other issues that affect more of the security community. What are those issues you're running into that might be similar to what we're doing? Well, one that I was talking about earlier today with some other folks is really the the consumerization of security that's going to come along. Most of us know that we have users in the enterprise who are, you know, very tech savvy, they're young, they're aggressive, they're impatient, they're not going to put up with the types of, of security forms and, and user interfaces that we've we engineers have all been happy with all this time. They're going to demand better usability and more, you know, more robust, more invisible sort of security. So I think that's going to be a big challenge for us. So what do you think might be the impact on data protection in that in that domain, I mean, because like you say, new users are changing, right? So they don't have the same vision that we might have for growing up in the industry and going up before the before we had all this internet and all these all these fancy websites like Facebook and stuff like that, where everything is shared, mm-hmm. and we have you know globalization of information and rapid information release. As corporate organizations, there's still that intellectual property which we're trying to protect, and there's all that all the personal data, well, and, and as well as personal data, but there's a whole bunch of data that needs protecting in the organization. And we see so many threat actors today. I mean, Tim can testify to that in, in our MSP environment. We see a crap load of threat actors, right, both internal and external. Do you think that's going to be exaggerated by or exaggerated? I can't say exaggerated. <laughs> You're good, man. <laughs> <laughs> by, this new, by this new generation? I think so. And I think the other big issue is, as you guys know, it used to be that, that the enterprise data that you were dealing with was you know, in a different application that nobody, you know, you would never use at home. You wouldn't use an ERP system for fun at home. And if you do, then, you know, raise your hand because I want to stage an intervention. <laughs> so, you know, the, the software you were using at work was very different. The data stayed there. You used a different endpoint. It was a different time of day. And now everything is interleaved. So you were using the same thing. You're using Gmail both for personal use and for corporate use, using Box, using social media. So all of this, you know, mixes up and it's all in the context. So if you have to identify enterprise data, you can't do it anymore by where it was created, what was used to create it, what time it was made, where you were at the time. You have to look at the actual content of the data and make a judgment call. I think this is business data. So that's, you know, confused things quite a bit. So you think for making it easier, you're ultimately widening the attack surface essentially through these technologies that you're, you're kind of suggesting that might have to come along for maybe the younger generation? Well, I think it's that. And it's also that obviously the enterprise has its own idea of risk that it wants to manage. But if you as a person have your data interleaved with theirs on the same device, you still want to say, hang on, you know, this is my personal data. I'll be the you know, I'll make the decision as to what kind of risk and what kind of controls I want to put around it. You have no say as the enterprise as to what I do with my personal data. 
and yet you're logging into the same things. The only difference is your login name that you're using, maybe, or where it is on your phone. So, you know, I think we're going to see more arguments with enterprise users as, you know, in terms of them saying, well, you can put policies around what I do for you, but you can't put policies around what I do for me. Hmm. And yet it's the same data in the same containers. So how do you sort that out? Right. It's true because, I mean, I look at myself, right? So I've got, I practically live online nowadays. I mean, every, I have everything in Google. I've also got, you know, the, I've got a personal version of, of Office Online. I've got, I've also got, I mean, our, as a corporate environment, we've switched to Office 365. And even, I'm really confused sometimes because even the computer gets confused. It's like I log into, I go to Office 36, I go to Office.com. It's like, which account do you want to use? And sometimes yeah. I, I, you know, I'll put in, try to put in the, my corporate account and the corporate account says, the Office just says, no, you can't use your corporate account in this site. I'm like, but I want to go to my corporate account. And it's only then that I realize that, oh, wait, maybe I'm on the wrong website. So, mm-hmm. I mean, do you think there's a solution to that? Because because it is. We're becoming, we this, we, we have so many identities today. I mean, there's, there's no fixed identity. You know, we've got so many little different identities. I know there's been a lot of work on, I'd say, you know, the OAuth and the, you know, the single identity, you know, via Twitter, Facebook and all that. That's not viable for a corporate environment. Yeah. And I think the definition of the corporate environment is changing so much too, especially if you're cloud first, you have nothing, you know, you have no data center. You're all using the same SaaS providers and your, your users are using the same endpoints. So I think we need more more identity level tagging around, okay, now I'm doing this as me, and now I'm doing this as, you know, a corporate user. But I know that there are groups that are trying to work on this quite a bit, like the UMA project and, you know, some of the others. But I think consumers, you know, as such are are learning more about how they need to protect their personal data. But again, I think they're going to run afoul of the enterprise's view of risk as opposed to their own view of their own personal risk. Right. And how does that play into, I guess, when larger enterprise kind of take the concept of, you know, bring your own device? I mean, is that really what you're saying that we now have to, like, we can still do that, but maybe we can do it effectively by identity and access management via other means? Or Well, that is that is one of the things that Google came out with when they, when they formed their Beyond Corp model, where it should matter less first of all, where the user is, as long as they are using the device that they expect to see that user using, that they're tied to, that they have identified as managed or unmanaged. The problem is that up until now, you have users, even if you don't think you have a BYOD policy, we've had customers at Duo who have you know, discovered that their corporate users are accessing applications with unmanaged devices. Right. You can't see that unless you have the right logging and you're capturing that during the authentication phase. So even if you don't think you have BYOD, you can't really be sure until right. you go and have a look. Because you have zero visibility into those BYOD devices. You're not, you're not installing your data loss prevention technology. You're not installing your AV on those endpoints. Yeah, so. if you're not installing MDM on them, right. you know, MDM as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, with Duo, we have a way to look at it. We use the native APIs to inspect the devices, and we can allow you to mark the ones that you expect to see as managed. So you can kind of tell, okay, we know that they're using these, but here are these other devices. Usually one and a half devices per user is what we see. But with Google users, it tends to be closer to five to seven devices per user. You want to get visibility into all of those and just build this whole picture of what you expect that user to be doing. I know personally I've got one, four, five, 
I'm probably using five devices. Uh-huh. And that's five <laughs> devices for everything that I access. So it's So it's both corporate and personal all on the five devices yeah. across them. Yeah. yeah. Not to I, all your VMs and everything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I use those VMs for other things. <laughs> let's not let's not go into we'll that. Go down that rule. <laughs> trying to think of <laughs> where to take this and uh, yeah where do I, we go from here yeah i mean that, that's the problem it's like because like i said i've got five devices but it's one of the reasons is you know we're, we're working as like we're trying to work like a startup mentality and things like that so we give certain freedoms to to our users especially you know and the other aspect is we get to test all the but we're actually doing what we claim we're doing because we're doing it doing it over multiple devices but Part of one of the MDM strategies is to containerize applications and to put applications into virtual environments. I personally don't think that's viable. I mean, I don't know about you guys. Do you think it's a viable solution to just say, tell the user, like, okay, from now on, you're going to access anything that's corporate data, anything that's protected, you're going to go through this portal, you're going to go through this restricted portal. I mean, it works into playing into, you know, identity management duo style because you're going to have that that ability to control who accesses what. But is it a viable technology to actually... I, th- I think it is if you put if you put these you know the access proxy for example in you know in front of the applications and you're tracking this at the application layer and say well if you're logging in you know as you know Wendy personally we don't care what you do with your data but if you start logging as as Wendy at duo.com we are certainly going to impose additional authentication measures and additional controls and we're going to watch carefully what you're doing so I think it all goes back to to accessing it at the application layer. This makes the network less relevant and it's easier for the user because the user doesn't have to care whether it's an internal app or an external app. You know, they get the the same experience regardless. But I think that's the only way because users don't want things to be installed on their personal devices. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be tracked on personal devices. So the only other place you can really do it is at the application front door and say, fine, if you're logging in as as an enterprise user, we have a say in how you do that. I think architecturally, though, if it's done right, that makes sense. I've just experienced extreme latency issues and, you know, being yeah. able to actually access data, and that just causes, you know, issues then from the user's perspective. Like, they just don't even want to use it anymore. You know, they, they want it their is. own device back. They want to, you know, reinstall the applications. And, I mean, I've seen that trend happen well. Yeah, so I think, I don't know, that containerization went in with all the extra latency that it, that introduced may be a problem. Right. So you really have to lighten up the access proxy and say, fine, we're just going to, you know, deal with the authentication, and after that, you know, you're on your own with the session. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, since we are at this conference, what, I mean, what have you heard from, you know, people coming up to the booth? What, what are like the most common questions, you know, they've been asked from you guys? Oh, that's a good question. I haven't had a chance to talk to all of my colleagues yet. Okay. But certainly some of the themes that I've heard are, you know, people are still concerned about third-party access, especially yeah. really large enterprises. They're worried about how to protect their own customers, their own users in a way that they're not going to rebel at. And then there are, you know, all sorts of things like the questions around what really constitutes two-factor authentication as opposed to two-step authentication under PCI. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the problem with PCI is the more prescriptive and and precise you are, the more hairs there are to be split. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of of discussions around that. I mean, you mentioned two-factor authentication. Mm If you look at some of the, the writings and what everybody's talking about nowadays, it's more multi-factor authentication. Yeah. 
do you see a relevant difference between that 2FA, what we used to call 2FA, and what's always been really called 2FA, where you, you plug it, you have some physical second factor to actually do, versus the multi-factor authentication that we're seeing nowadays, where it can be something like Authy, it could be something, I mean, think Duo, they also have like this virtual token, you guys have a virtual token as well, right? Or a virtual OTP type of solution. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you think there's a big difference or is it just another relabeling of a technology that's existed for years that we're starting to improve and starting to use better and know, understand how to better introduce the user? Because that, that's one of the problems that we've always seen is that those users are really hard to adopt new technologies. It is really hard. And I think where we're going with, with multi-factor authentication is, first of all, we're being more flexible at the time of the authentication session. Say, well, where are you right now? Okay, if you're on a plane, you're not going to have cellular, so we're not sending you an SMS. Mm-hmm. Which method of authentication, and we offer a lot, you know, we su- support U2F and, and hard tokens, soft tokens, our push authentication, voice line, which one is going to work for you at this point in time? And we let the user choose that, you know, every time. So I think that's that's a flexibility. You can call it adaptive authentication. You can call it multi-factor. And then on top of that, there are other factors that the enterprise can put in behind it that the user may or may not be aware of, such as, again, tying the user to the device. So that becomes another factor. Or, you know, implementing geofencing or looking at behavioral analysis. Those are all additional factors that come into play in the policy that the user is not interacting with, but it will certainly, you know, influence what they will be able to access at that given time. Right, you're in the wrong location, so we're not going to let you at access the most sensitive data will only, you know, will let you look at, at the wiki, you know, yeah. or something like that. So I think those two things are are changing how we deal with it. So it's not just two-factor. You have one token, use it all the time under every circumstance. There's a lot more leeway for the enterprise to play with their policies and, you know, allow devices to be remembered for a longer period of time depending on different circumstances. So I think it's the flexibility and the range that is is growing. I mean, as a trend, do you think that we're actually? I took two things out of, out of what you just said. <laughs> so the first one is, you know, you're talking about device authentication. I mean, we tried this a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. Do you remember TPMs? That mm-hmm. was the whole idea of deploying. Yes. Apart from the secure computing platform, one of the primary objectives of TPM was to provide you with an identifier for your device. Mm-hmm. But that never really worked out because when you started to try and deploy it in, in large corporations, it just failed completely because there <laughs> was no management solution. You couldn't manage the keys. And as soon as you lost the key, you basically lost access to the machine. Yeah. Do you think that's still true? Or do you think we've moved away from that notion of TPM and moved more to a notion of we've got better ways nowadays to identify to identify a device? Well, I think you're, the issue comes down to the chain of trust that you want to build. TPMs are still obviously relevant if you can you know, build a, a chain of custody, so to speak. So, for example, with the U2F you know, with the YubiKey Nano or whatever, it's speaking directly to the browser. So at the operating system level, there's no way to do a man-in-the-middle mm-hmm. attack there. You, you you can't do that. So they're working out different ways to to build those those bridges of trust, and it really depends on the workflow that you expect your, your controls to take, if that makes sense. You're looking at me kind of strangely. No, I was, I, it, it, makes, it makes sense. It's just I'm trying to process too. I, you know, it's... It's been a long week. It's been a long week, yeah. and you know, there's been a lot of things happening. So it, it's been it's been tough. I mean, and I've forgotten what I what the other point was <laughs> that I wanted to ask you. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I, I remember my days in the corporate you know world when we had those hard tokens. You'd arrive to work and you didn't have your token with you. So that's mm -hmm. the most frustrating thing in the world. You know, when you didn't have, you literally have to go back home because you couldn't access anything, your email and anything. So I, you know, I know adding that layer of security was critical for us, right? But sometimes it's also quite a nuisance. You know, so I'm making it easier. I think you know. Yeah, yeah. And also, as you get older, as, as I have gotten older, it's hard to read those little numbers. <laughs> and my working memory yeah. is not what it used to be. So I'd have to copy one at a time while waiting late, for it to gone. time out. Yes, it's, it's timed out and it's re. I, even today, those timeouts are like really bad because I mean, I, I, use, I use multiple. MFAs for all different services, and like yeah. I'll log into AWS, and I get, and I'm like, oh god, I gotta go find my MFA. I find my MFA, and I'm like looking at the number, and I'm starting to type the same thing. It's like I'm starting to type the number because you you got your phone here, and you got your computer here. You're looking for the keys, and if you start too late in the sequence, I mean, mm -hmm. it's only thirty seconds. Come <laughs> on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, I think adapting it to what works best for mm -hmm. the user at that time is an important step. Mm. Tim was talking about. Corporate, you know, like the old corporate security multi-factor that we used to have. I did the same thing. I was part of a, you know, when I used to work in the end user, I was actually part of one of the biggest smart card PKI authentication rollouts in the world. So we were talking about 100,000 plus clients. And one of the problems that we had is exactly that. You go off, you know, go home, you put your keys on the, and you put your pat, your badge on the desk. Then you leave in the morning, you're in a rush because <laughs> the kids are crying and you have to get them to school. And it's a, you, so you forget your, you forget your badge. You can probably walk into the building. Well, that, that's a different problem. But. That's, that's a whole other issue <laughs> But you get to your desk and nothing. So we had to set up essentially a bypass. So we had, you know, you'd call the help desk and get, then they basically override the two-factor based authentication just for the end user. Do you think we've evolved from that? I mean, do you think we can do better than that now because because of as the technology has evolved? Or are we still stuck in that quagmire where if you forget something, you're going to have to have an override? Yeah, something you forget. Well, I don't know if I'd call it an override anymore so much as a better exception handling. So one of the issues that users do come to us with, you know, our, our, the IT staff is, how do we authenticate that person who's calling in and said, I left my phone at home? How can I get in? Or, you know, that I left my token, you know, what, what do I, yeah. you know, how do we authenticate that user again if they don't have the device that we're using to authenticate them? And again, it really depends on, you know, how many other factors you have enrolled and, you know, what your own process is for granting those exceptions, but it's all about exception handling. I think the the other thing that the other point I was I was thinking about making was you know with the, with the TPMs and so on is that yes you're you know getting a level of assurance about which device is being used, but the next question is so what does that mean? So what? We think we know what the device is. Google in their Beyond Core paper talked about you know how many components do you swap out of a device before it stops being that device. Mm -hmm. You know, and they finally decided that, okay, we're going to trust the certificate that we put on it because you can change everything else about the device, but if you have put in, you know, the right data tying that device to the user and it can't be reused anywhere else, that's the core that's left for that assurance. But you always have to decide, okay, now we know that they're using that device. Why do we care? What does that mean? What decisions are we going to make based on that? And what data is on that device? 
What data is on that device? What's the hygiene of the device? What other information do we have from logs about the current state of the device? What has it been used for? Where has it been? Right. Like a health check, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe if you're an enterprise and you have a lot of managed information about the device, you can say whether it's currently healthy. You can say whether somebody has, you know, has cavities or not. Yeah. Right. But in other cases, you can only look and say, well, they're brushing their teeth really well. So (laughs) we're guessing that they don't have cavities. Do you think that in that perspective, it's like, how would we control access to maybe not the online applications because a lot of the, the, I know that a lot of that Google principle is that they're doing everything online right mm-hmm. so there's very little store on the actual device but you know in the reality of in the real world in the real world <laughs> not in the Google inspired world right. there's an aspect where users are using data on their machine mm-hmm. and if we come to that where you've got the cavities in your in your environment I mean we need to be able to put controls into place so that, that's one of the focuses that we do you know with, with our product and with our when we talk to customers, we're talking how you're going to control the access to that device when you when you're not on the corporate network or when your laptop is no longer valid or whatever. I've lost track of where I was going with this. <laughs> well, lo- local, locally based control and local multi-factor authentication, I think, is what you're yeah, talking I mean, about. Yeah, we're stuck. We're, I mean, we seem to be coming around, right? It's it's always can I actually protect my data and still in, in, enforce that two FA when I'm offline. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when, before we started this podcast, I had to find internet, I had to turn on my phone, you know, I had to set up everything. So you've got that aspect. If, if you're not online, how does that multi-factor actually work? I mean, I use a YubiKey too, right? Yeah. And the nice thing is, uh, although it's kind of broken, I was actually talking to the guys this, this afternoon. I used to use my YubiKey to actually authenticate locally to the machine. But because it uses a hash token system, you can actually do it when you're offline, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it's, it's actually validating the hash, asking the YubiKey to compute that the hash is correct. Yeah. All the non-technical listeners just said, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what did he just say? They, they just made a hash of the authentication. <laughs> Let, let's just say that basically the YubiKey is acting as its own kind of authenticator, right? Yeah, so yeah. in less technical terms. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got that aspect. One of the questions that came up to me, actually, one guy was like, came to me during, the, during InfoSec and was like, so here's my problem. I need to be able to protect data because my data is stored, say, maybe in Switzerland, and only Swiss bankers, well, I gave it, gave it a little bit away, but I, I didn't really want to do that, but it doesn't matter. So only Swiss bankers can access that data, and they can only access the data they're allowed to access. Yes. Or only the Swiss users can access his that data. So you're getting down to a level of, well, how do we protect individual fields, and how do we encrypt individual fields in a database on a per-session basis. Yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly the type of problem I was trying to solve 20 years ago when I was working here in London for a Swiss bank. <laughs> and we tried to use, because, you know, if you were outside of Switzerland, you should not be allowed to access the private banking data. Mm-hmm. But when you went over the border, you, were, you should be able to access it. And so we were trying to do this with GPS-based access mm-hmm. control, but this was 20 years ago and it didn't work very well. You know, you had to hold the receiver out the window. <laughs> so, yeah, there are absolutely still these problems that people are working on. I mean, do, do you think that we've gotten better at identifying location of the device? Oh, no. I mean, you know, you, you've read the stories too about the geolocation providers yeah. who, you know, just, well, let's just stick this in the middle of the U.S. and nobody will care. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we've read those. We're getting to, I've closed the podcast. I think we're getting to the close. It's been almost 25 minutes, almost half an hour. So if you had any final thoughts, Wendy, what would they be? 
and how can we meet you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like I said, I think I think users are going to be pushing back on the usability of security in general and say, hang on a minute, I want my personal stuff not to be under the control of the enterprise. I want to, you know, determine what's what my privacy and security management is going to be. I want to have my own risk model for my stuff, even if it's on the same box as your stuff. So we have to be prepared for this and we have to look much more closely at the design and we, we may have to do some radical changes to, you know, get us out of the corner we've painted ourselves into. And you're still at Wendy Nather on Twitter? Yes, I'm still Wendy Nather on Twitter and I'm Wendy at duo.com. So yeah, hit me up with, with your best <laughs> hit shots. Hit me up on the tweet. <laughs> hit me up on the tweet. Tim, your final thoughts? <laughs> no, I think that was that was great. That was insightful. Even, you know, being at the conference, I think it's great to also hear from, you know, customers and what they're experiencing. It's great hearing from you as well to hear on your side of the house. You know, pairing that obviously with a data protection solution as well with the two factor, I think that's like a perfect marriage, right? You, you can get Absolutely. those to come together, right? I mean you have yeah, a, a we need to do more together. Strategy. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, a great idea. That's a great idea, yeah. <laughs> Protecting the access to the data of two. Can you be rich on Twitter? Yeah, sure. Just Google my name. <laughs> it's easier than giving my, my Twitter handle. <laughs> my final thoughts. Actually, my final thoughts are going to be more on InfoSec Europe. I mean, the discussion was great, Wendy, and I, and I fully agree with what you guys said. But I, was, I had a chance to walk around the, the show floor. And unfortunately, I think I saw a lot of the same thing, a lot of the same messaging, just with a different blanket. And it's a shame because there's so much more we could be doing. You know, you both know I run B-Size London. Yesterday we had some great talks on about sharing and sharing information and, and participating in a community rather than, than just building on a single problem or trying to solve a single single issue. So, yeah, that, I think that would be my final thought for this week. <laughs> Beyond the, the scope of this the, this podcast, which was great. So keep an eye out for our next episode later this month featuring Rich Barger of Splunk. And you can reach me on our blog or via at FVT on Twitter. That Good. was easy. FVT. Yeah, FVT. I've been, that's, I've, that's how long I've been on Twitter. <laughs> A three-letter acronym. Really, that's unbelievable. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening, and have a great day. Bye.